uh, chapter 6. I'll get over there myself and we'll get started here. Our theme this year has been uh, Disciple. And we've been focusing in on our church's mission statement, which is to make mature and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ. I've decided Wednesday night's the time to really focus in on uh, building on this theme, uh, being that we're preaching verse by verse through Genesis on Sunday morning and Hebrews Sunday night. Uh, I'll tell you this, this is a sidebar. I've been studying Hebrews chapter 8 all day today, and I cannot wait. I wanted to preach it tonight, <laughs> but I will wait for Sunday night. Um, just good, good stuff. Um, and that being said, this is good stuff too. Uh, but disciple has been our theme for this year. And, you know, the three-step the three step process, we, we talked when we introduced the theme on, on the second Sunday morning of the year, um, it starts with um, being called to follow. Discipleship starts with making the choice to follow Jesus um, with your life, and following Jesus has a corresponding choice that has to be made along with it, and that is the choice to forsake. Following Jesus means you're going to have to forsake some of the things that you might have been following or pursuing, and as you begin to follow Jesus, it results in a third choice, and that third choice is the choice to find. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. As you begin to follow Jesus, what inevitably is going to happen is that you're going to begin to desire to invite others to come along with you. And that is the process of discipleship in very simple terms. Um, it's what happens in the discipleship process. And it's a beautiful process. It's God's process. And I'll say this again, and I'll say it probably a hundred times this year, but it still works. We can come up with all types of programs and initiatives to try to build a church, but if we just do it the way God told us to, it'll work. It'll work for itself. Uh, God's process is self-sustaining um, in, in calling disciples to grow in him and then calling other disciples to follow him in faith. And uh, we don't need a new process. We just need to observe the process God's already given to us. And so with that being said, I want to continue learning about this subject of discipleship tonight. And I'm going to talk to you tonight about something from the scriptures that, I, that I've just uh, called the dichotomy between disciples. There is a contrast between different types of disciples. And that's what I mean by the di dichotomy between disciples. We're going to see this di dichotomy demonstrated for us in John chapter 6. And uh, you, many of you have heard me say this before, but I, I believe that John chapter 6 and verse 66 is the saddest verse in the Bible. And no wonder it has the address it has, 666, the devil's number. Notice what John chapter 6 and verse number 66 says. It says, in this verse of scripture, um, from that time many of his what? Disciples went back and walked no more with him. Let me ask you a simple question this evening. Who are you following? I think we went around and all of us answer that question out loud in this public assembly, we'd probably all say Jesus. I'd hope so. But I wonder what it really is. Who are you following in your life tonight? You see, many of these people in John chapter 6 claim to be Jesus' disciples while he was walking on this earth. But when Jesus called them to true discipleship, the Bible says they walked away. You read the context of the scripture, Jesus told them, you need to eat my body and drink my blood. 
Now, there's spiritual application for what he was talking about there. But he took it to a different level. This is not just walking around with the guy who's doing miracles anymore. And boy, this is exciting. Cool stuff's happening. Now he's asking them to personally forsake some things and dedicate their lives wholly to him. Now he's giving them doctrine that, well, that kind of goes against what I grew up thinking. Now it's different. And when Jesus called them to that, many of the disciples walked away. That's one type of disciple. They were called disciples. They weren't true followers of Jesus, though. Go back, go, go, go to verse 67. The Bible says, Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Real disciples are individuals who are truly following Jesus. They live by his words. They live by his instructions. Jesus is in the steering wheel. They're followers of Jesus Christ through thick and thin. That's what defines a true disciple of Jesus Christ, according to what we're reading here in the scripture. Now, we know of the 12, there was still a phony. Even in this, even, even in this circumstance right here. But there is a dichotomy that exists between people who claim the name of followers of Jesus, people who claim the title of disciples of Jesus Christ. And let me just say that too often, while we claim to be followers of Jesus, we are in reality following something or someone else. And I believe there are times in all of our lives where we can become guilty of this thing I'm talking about here. See, some follow the world. And sure, while we're pursuing a job or while we're pursuing a hobby or while we're pursuing entertainment or while we're pursuing something in this world that's dominating our affections, dominating our attention, sure, we might try to throw Jesus in. But our affections are being directed and, and our life is being driven and motivated by something that is not Jesus. And while I'm following something else, I can add in a little Jesus, but I cannot follow something else and Jesus. You understand the difference? A lot of us want a little Jesus with the thing that we're pursuing to kind of help us along our way. That's not how it works. It's an all, discipleship is an all or nothing venture. So some follow the world. Some follow themselves. Kind of makes me think of the picture of a, a dog chasing its tail. <laughs> You're not going to get anywhere doing that. But some of us do follow our own passions, our own fleshly motivations. We follow ourselves. The almighty God of self. Not so almighty. It's a weak thing to follow. And the truth is, and if I could put it in these terms, many of us follow a Jesus of our own making. It isn't the Jesus of the scriptures, but we create a mindset that justifies whatever we want to do. And I see it ha we see it happen 
all the time. There's a lot more I could say about that, but I, I don't want to get parked on this for too long. Some people follow a man. What's interesting is when you follow a man, so often when you follow a man, when that man falls, many people fall away because of it. Don't get your eyes focused on a man. We're following Christ. People will rise and people will fall. Um, even in the short time I've been here, we've had, we've had many staff members come and go. You know, those of you that have been here for the 35 years, you've at least seen four different pastors in this church, um, which for 35 years isn't bad, but people come and people go. One day I'll pass off the scene, somebody else will be here, but Jesus is always there. Some follow tradition. And honestly, if we're, if, if, if we're looking at this from this perspective, some people think of being a follower of Jesus as being someone who follows all the follows all the traditions they grew up with, I'm not anti-traditional. I think we're pretty tradition a pretty traditional church, if I may say so myself. But to equate tradition to being a follower of Jesus is a false dichotomy. There are some great traditions we should adhere to, and I and I believe in many of them. But I hope you understand the distinction of what I'm saying. Some people stick so much to tradition that they stop listening to the voice of Christ speaking into their lives. And they will no more move from their pew because that's where they've been sitting for 50 years. If Jesus called them to follow, they wouldn't know what to do. Some follow religion. Some equate being a disciple with keeping all the rules. Dressing this way, doing this thing. And if that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, then I can be a really good follower of Jesus as long as I put on everything outwardly I'm supposed to put on. That's legalism in its essence. But some people equate that with what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. I need to appear outwardly to look like what I think Jesus would look like. And consequently, Jesus must have been walking around the earth in a suit and tie clean-shaven face, short-cut hair, and everything that I think characterizes what Jesus is supposed to be like in this day and time. We know we didn't. But that's what I'm talking about. We make it all, we make being a follower of Christ, being Christ-like, to be about many things that it really isn't. And that is the danger of the false dichotomy or this dichotomy between these false disciples and true disciples of Jesus Christ. And so in your notes, this is the first statement I want you to write down tonight. And that is this, a disciple is simply someone who follows Jesus. Very easy. You probably could have figured that one out without me telling you. <laughs> Some of you probably did. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. You see, discipleship is about self-abandon. It is forsaking all to follow Jesus. That's what we learned in Matthew 4.19 when we began this journey this year. The disciples forsook all and they followed Jesus. That's the whole essence of what it means to become a follower of Jesus. A disciple is this idea of self-abandon. Jesus said, and this is in your notes I believe in Matthew 16 and verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life, that's the Greek suke, that's talking about uh, uh, the, 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 very, the very essence of your life, the very pursuit, passion of your life, the things of, of this lifetime, 
But he that will save his life, it's all going to be all about you keeping what you can have right here. You're going to lose what it's all about. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. You have not discovered what it truly means to live and still you st- until you stop living for yourself. And you start living for him. That is the essence of discipleship. Self-abandonment. Consequently, this self-abandonment is the natural consequence of salvation. When we get saved, guess who dies? The old man. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have a choice. Now, the old dead flesh... The Bible just still says that there's a war that happens because we're still living in this body of flesh. We understand that. When we get saved, old things are passed away, old things are become new. But the true, to be a true disciple of Christ, it requires this self-abandon. And so discipleship is abandoning a self-identity and adopting a savior identity. I do no, I do no longer identify as Bruce Burkett, but I identify as Christ who lives in me. You say, where do you get that from? Galatians 2.20. It says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ And to die is gain. My life is no longer about me, it's about him. For it is he that lives in me. I am dead and my life is hid with Christ in God. I have a new identity. And it is not my life anymore. It's his life in me. And that is both liberating and challenging. But that is what we're getting at and defining the essence of discipleship here. And boy, there's so many things along this line that we need to understand. So discipleship is the process by which I grow in understanding this union I now have with Christ and how it impacts my daily life. Two passages of scripture I gave you that I don't have time to to clarify a lot here, but I'll read them to you. Uh, The first one is Colossians 1. You have that in your notes? Colossians 1, verse 26, it says, Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to the saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what, church? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here's a wonderful revelation. You who have trusted Christ as your Savior, Christ is in you. Now that's a wonderful thought right there. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, on a contrasting note, the second passage in Colossians, in two chapters down in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Here's the second revelation. Not only is there Christ in you, but you are in Christ. And this is a blessed union. Christ in you and you in Christ. Jesus talked about this union in his earthly ministry, particularly in the book of John. And it is a mystery. 
It was a mystery that was held in, in years past. And friend, I don't think you and I are going to fully comprehend it as long as we're on this earth. The fact that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. But it is the fact that we are united with Christ in this way that enables us to truly become the disciples that Jesus requires us to be. And it is in that fact alone. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, hey, then you need to deny yourself. How do you do that? By taking up your cross. What do you do on a cross? You die. And follow me. None of us need to understand what has happened when we've trusted Christ. In order to deny yourself, you're going to have to take up your cross and understand that when Jesus died on the cross, you died. And your life is no longer about yourself, it's about him. So you understand the theology here surrounding how discipleship is possible. I'm going to tell you this again. It is in growing and understanding this truth that will enable you to become a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Understanding that your life is no longer your own. It is Christ's. And so that's the first thing. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. All right. You say amen louder, then I'll finish sooner. No. Thank you. Thank you. Discipleship. Here's the second statement. Discipleship is learning to let the life of Christ flow through you. All right. So Christ lives in you. You are in Christ. Christ is in you. And so now discipleship is learning to let the life of Christ flow through you. Guess what? It's not all up to you. That is an encouraging truth. Nothing that Jesus expects of you as his disciple is to come exclusively from you. It is all the result of his working in me. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, For it is God who works in you both to will, that's to want to, and to do, that's to actually do it, of his good pleasure. God works in us to accomplish his work. Now that's different than what many of us, or than how many of us try to make ourselves followers of Jesus. We think it's all up to us. But it is actually the work of God within us that enables us to be the followers Christ has called us to be. And this is important for us to understand. And so let me say it this way. Discipleship is not you outwardly trying to conform to a man-made standard. Rather, it is you inwardly being transformed by the working of God's Spirit. And this is life-changing when you truly get a hold of it. I could make up a bunch of rules. And you could make up a bunch of rules of what it should mean to be a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus should read three chapters in their Bible every day. And a follower of Jesus should pray for at least five minutes every day. And a follower of Jesus should be in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, soul winning on Saturday. Are any of those things wrong? No. Do followers of Jesus do those types of things? Yes. And I believe if Jesus was here that he would do those very things. The problem is those are my rules. Okay? I could tell you a follower of Jesus will dress this way, listen to this kind of music, watch this kind of show, do these kinds of things. And by the way, it's not wrong to teach good morals when it comes to all those things. I'm not belittling that. But what I'm saying is none of those things exclusively define what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There are people 
who are better followers of Christ than you and I who may not yet appear like it. I look at new converts sometimes. They don't have it all together, but I'm challenged by their passion. They want to follow Jesus. They want to learn. They are willing to do whatever they discover in his word he asks them to do. Though they may not dress the way I dress, act the way I act, though they may do some things that as they grow, they'll probably understand they shouldn't do anymore. So you understand the barometer. It isn't conforming to a man-made standard. It, discipleship is all about a transformation happening in your life, in your heart, by the work of the Spirit of God within you. Romans chapter 12 puts it this way. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're not being conformed to this world, any aspect of this world, but rather it is a transformation that God, as we lay our lives down as a living sacrifice, hey, I'm dead, and yet I live. I'm a living sacrifice. I'm Christ's. And now, I'm fully, as I'm fully submitted to him, his spirit does a transforming work in my life. This is the essence of discipleship. And that leads me to the third statement. We're moving right along. The third statement. As you follow Christ, his spirit forms you. I'll say it again. As you follow Christ, his spirit forms you. Jesus told, this, told us before he left this earth, before he was even crucified, that this was what was going to happen. In your notes, John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. The Holy Spirit's your teacher. He's going to bring all things to your remembrance. He's going to show you the things that I have been trying to communicate to you and you haven't understood yet. Then he comes back again in John 16 and talks about the Holy Spirit again. In John 16 and verse 13, he says, How be it, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The Spirit is your teacher. The Spirit is your guide. The Spirit of God is the agent of Christ working inside of you, conforming you into his image. It is the Spirit of God that draws you into deeper discipleship, to more deeply and intimately follow Jesus Christ. And so in this sense, discipleship is all about God working in you to reveal to you how you have been made a new creation in the very likeness of Jesus Christ, and this is why, so you can live like it. See, sometimes, and especially happens for young couples, they'll get married. After they get married, it takes them some time to figure out how to live like married people. Now, usually you can tell a newlywed couple because they're kissing all over each other. It's not usually in that way they struggle. What's in the other aspects of life? The guys call, hey, let's go play basketball. You grab your shoes and go. 
Meanwhile, back home is the wife. Jesus is thinking, what is that guy doing? Hey, getting married kind of changes the way you're supposed to live your life. You can't live like a single person anymore. <coughs> but it's a progression in learning how to understand that. And so it is with the new reality of what we have to experience when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God works on our heart to reveal to us what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be a follower of Christ, and he begins to transform our life. And so as we follow Christ, the Spirit forms us into followers of Christ is the essence of, of what we're getting at here in the Scripture. I love this verse, and I never thought about this before uh, studying this out this week, but 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. This is fantastic. The Bible says, but we all with open face Beholding as in a glass. Now, what's the glass speaking of? Anybody know? A mirror. As in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by what? Oh, there's the Holy Spirit working again. Now, let me ask you a very simple question. Does a mirror reveal what you want to see? No comment. Sometimes, sometimes, Miss Pat said. Sometimes. Not most of the time for many of us. Does a, remil, does a mirror reveal what you want to see? No, not necessarily. A mirror reflects an image. That's all that a mirror does. It only reveals what's actually there. So let me go so far as to say this to you. You're looking into a mirror as a saved individual. God's spirit is revealing something to you as you look into the mirror. Anybody know what the mirror is a picture of here in this verse? The image of Christ. It's given to us right here. The word of God. We behold with an open face, we look into the, the image, the mirror of the word of God. The spirit of God works in our hearts to reveal something to us. And God's spirit, as we look into this mirror, it only reveals what God has already done or is already doing within you. Sometimes when you look in this mirror, you discover a truth. I remember the first time I discovered what it means to be justified. And what I discovered as I looked into the mirror of God's word and I studied what it means to be justified is something that was already true about me and I didn't know. Now most of the time when I look in the mirror and find something there that I didn't see before, it's not good. <laughs> when we look into the mirror of the word of God and we understand some more truth about Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, I understood for the first time, I remember when I looked at what it meant to be, meant to be justified that I was declared righteous before God. That was a wonderful truth to discover. Sometimes as I look into the mirror of God's word on the other side of things, though, God reveals some things that ought not be there, that need to be removed. Because it's not a reflection of who God has created me to be in Christ Jesus. You understand that? And most of the time, humanly speaking, when we look in the mirror, something needs to be corrected. But sometimes when we look into the mirror of God's word, God reveals to us some things, wonderful things about who we are in Christ Jesus that really help us begin to understand how beautiful of a thing Christ has done for us in saving us. 
And that is part of the growth process of discipleship as well. And so we are changed as God's spirit takes God's word and transforms our minds. This is what happens as we grow in God's word. Look at verse Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22, and we're almost done. Ephesians 4, 22, it says that you put off concerning the former conversation, your old lifestyle, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And then it says, and be renewed in the spirit of of your mind. What it's talking about there is you need to let God change your mind about a couple things. Be renewed, made anew in the spirit of your mind. That and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. What's interesting about every one of these things that's described here is that this is a passive process. I don't put off. I don't put on. I have had the old man put off through my faith in Jesus Christ, and I have had the new man put on through my faith in Jesus Christ. But I don't always feel that way. And here in this limbo period of this lifetime, hey, we struggle with believing that the old man is truly dead and that I am a new man in Christ Jesus. And it is as God's spirit uses his word to speak to my heart that God's spirit through God's word begins to reveal to me how dead that man really is and how alive I really am in Jesus Christ. And to experience the liberty and the freedom that comes from from, from a true understanding of that thing. I, I, I think of it in this way. Think of a couple that's been married for 50 years, okay? Uh, last Friday at the sweetheart, uh, at the couple's out night out, uh, the Durans raised their hand. They'd been married for 50 years. Being married for 50 years, they know a thing or two about each other. You hang around with Vic and Tracy at all, you know they can finish each other's sentences. Tracy can tell Vic stories. Now, he doesn't like her to, but she knows them better than he does. All right? There's some things about them. If they're being together for 50 years, they just know each other. I mean, I will never be able to think about Vic without thinking of Tracy. And I'll never be able to think of Tracy without thinking of Vic. They're one in every sense of the term. They're literally spending a lifetime together. But subjectively, they were just as married on the moment, on the day they said, I do as they are now 50 years later. They haven't become more married over the years. You understand what I'm saying? Objectively, however, throughout the years, they've grown in their union together and understanding what it means to be in union together. Now they can finish each other's sentences, and now all of those things are true. Do you know when you got saved, you were wedded to Jesus Christ? You're his bride. He knows everything about you. You don't know everything about him. We don't understand fully what we've received when we trusted Christ, but our life here on this earth, and really for all of eternity, the Bible says in the ages to come, the Lord is going to continue to reveal to us the glory of the grace of his riches, Ephesians 2, 7, that he's poured out on us. We're going to get to discover throughout all eternity what it means to be in union with our Savior, Jesus. It's a process, though. It's a process. 
I'm becoming more like Christ. I don't get more and more saved. I don't get more and more married. I'm just as saved now as I'm ever going to be. But I get to live every day as the Spirit of God works in my heart using his word to show me more and more what it means to be a child of God. What it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is awesome. And uh, we, often, we often say about marriage, just enjoy the journey. <laughs> it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. <laughs> That's what it should be about our relationship with the Lord too. Just enjoy it. Every phase, every part of what the Lord blesses you with. Here's the last thing and we'll be done. The last statement here. Discipleship is the process by which you learn to let Jesus take the lead. Take the lead. You see, as you grow to understand that you've been wedded to Jesus Christ, that he is living in you and you are living in him and this union that you have with him, eventually you'll come to a place where you have no problem, no problem abandoning self. And on a day-to-day basis, you'll have no problem letting Jesus take the lead. Can I say, we said at the beginning, discipleship, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. That starts with one choice to put your faith in Jesus, but then there's a lifetime of little choices to let Jesus have his way. And that's the process. That's where God's got to tear you away from this old ideology, renew your mind, and bring you into this new reality. That's where the growth has to happen. And as you grow in understanding these principles we've been talking about tonight, you'll come to the place in this process where you have no problem letting Jesus take the lead on a day-to-day basis and every choice that has to be made. And by the way, as you get to this place, you'll begin to understand that everything that used to be something you thought you had to come up with the strength and power to figure out how to do on your own, you'll realize you can't. But he can. And you'll learn to live in dependence on him. Let him take the lead. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, I'll do my best. We love him because he first loved us. How about that instead? I can follow the great commandment, but only in Christ. In fact, the only way I can follow any commandment is independence upon Christ. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, I'll try. As I have loved you, so love you one another. It changes when it's Christ doing it through me. I've had people say, I don't think I could ever love that person. You're probably right. But Christ can. I don't think I could ever forgive that person. Yeah, you're right. But be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You see, I can love because I am loved. 
and I can now share that love that I have been given. I can forgive because I've been forgiven. I can give because God's given me something to give. I can serve because he's served me. John 13, before he established the new covenant, he got down on his knees, he washed his disciples' feet, and he said, I've left you an example to do to others as I've done for you. Jesus hasn't asked us to do anything that he didn't do. And he hasn't asked us to do anything that he will not do through us. It's independence upon his spirit. The essence of discipleship is letting Jesus take the lead. Sometimes for me, this process is, there's not a time before I, I come to preach or teach. There's not a time before I go to counsel someone. There's not a time when I try to do anything, and I'm not perfect at this, but where I don't stop and say, Lord, I can't do this, but you can. It is a moment-to-moment -moment choice to let Jesus do what he can do and stop trying to carry it all yourself. Stop trying to do it all yourself. It's letting Christ live his life in you. That's what it truly means to follow Jesus. The people we looked at the beginning were all about following Jesus when it was the miracles and the food and all the fun stuff. But when Jesus told them to abandon everything, to lose their identity, to lose their culture, to lose their heritage, to lose their identity, hey, to lose the customs they'd grown up with, to forsake it all to follow him, that's a problem. But it is only as you're willing to, to, to come to a choice of self-abandonment fully and truly and entirely, surrender yourself to the working of the Spirit of God in your life, that you can become truly the follower that Jesus has called you to be. It's a life of dependence, following Jesus, letting Jesus take the lead. So I ask you again in conclusion tonight, who are you following? Who are you following? Maybe it's been yourself. Maybe it's been a pursuit in this world. Maybe you've tried to tack Jesus on to whatever it is you have been following. A true disciple will make the decision to exclusively follow Jesus. And may it be our choice as a church family this year to make the choice, I have decided to follow Jesus. You can bow your head and close your eyes with me. Our heads